in grad school, we, in my last semester, had a, a pretty big group project um, that's meant to stretch you and it's meant to be difficult and you're, you're supposed to struggle working with eight different people that have obviously have very different personalities and very different work styles. Um, and during, I think during the whole group project uh, over the six month period, uh, from, from the very beginning, I uh, unwittingly, if you will, uh, placed on myself the role of, okay, I'm going to be the person who keeps things going. And uh, obviously, we don't all have to be best friends, nor would I want that, that to be the case. But, uh, you know, let's, let's keep it civil. Let's keep it going forward. Let's complete the objective in the best way possible. And, you know, we'll be okay. Um, but as, as will happen with uh, usually when you put eight people in a room for six months together, um, there was literally no way we were going to go through this without some kind of conflict. Um, in this case, there was the perception, at least for some people, that uh, out of the eight of us, out of the eight people, five of us were, were our own little clique, our own, our own little group, and, uh, which is kind of in a way true because we were the five who were doing most of the work. Uh, it's unfortunate. Um, so there was the, the perception that we were excluding the others, and I don't think that was necessarily true, but that's how they, they saw it, and I, I can kind of see their point. Um, so... Close to the end, about three weeks before this was over, uh, one of these excluded people, if you will, uh, decided to convene a meeting with the whole with the whole group, and they made it very clear that uh, they were going to lay down the law and uh, you know really have, have a heart to heart with us. Um, so you know what can you say? We all agreed, and, and we met up, and this this person started pouring out their heart and. Uh, for the next solid hour and a half, uh, just went off about how essentially we were being unprofessional and all these different things. Uh, it was a little rough. Um, but I think the rest of us, we understood that to keep this moving and to finish the project in the best way possible, instead of trying to prove that we were right and that we had the, the moral high ground, we, we all we all just decided we're going to let it go. Like, okay, fine, whatever. Um, however, at, at one point, uh, this person decided to, and this is the dumbest thing. This is so dumb. They decided that uh, their takeaway from the meeting was going to be that we had to delete our group me uh, between the five of us. So stupid. Uh, because that was excluding the group, right? And... Uh, and we're all just kind of shaking our heads, like, eh, whatever. Like, I totally disagree with you, but here we go. But it got to a point where finally I felt like someone had to say something. And f I don't know why, but it came, to, it came down to me. That's just how it worked out. So, so finally I interrupted her, and in the nicest way possible, um, I just had to make the point, like, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, of course, but um, listen, at the end of the day, we can talk to whoever we want inside or outside the group we can you know have a group me with whoever you want and and that's okay like you shouldn't be personally offended there's no we're not trying to make a greater point here um <laughs> this person probably didn't receive that super well but you know the at the end of the day we moved on and we got it done and it was like big deal um but you know i guess i guess the point i'm trying to make is like yeah cohesion was obviously super important but I think it got to the point where actually to make a more cohesive group, you know, you kind of had, I had to step out and, and actually confront this person in a very nice and professional and respectful way for sure. There was no shouting or crying or whatever, uh, pulling hair. But, uh, you know, I think that might be a little bit different perhaps than what people might perceive um, uh, when, when seeing a nine at least on that first little overview of what a nine is. Um, but yeah, sometimes keeping the peace or struggling to maintain that sense of group unity means taking action uh, in a way too and not always just just passively taking it all in. Um, so I grew up in a family of four um, and I'm a middle child. So there's a lot of me being a middle child. Uh, same thing you'd expect with 
nines and peacemakers. Um, but I was always really good at math and science, and I studied really hard. And um, I came from a family where my dad was an engineer. His dad was an engineer. My mom's dad was an engineer. Um, so being good at math and science, uh, my dad was like, you should be an engineer. And I said, okay, without really thinking about it. Um, got Went to college, um, studied civil engineering, enjoyed my classes. Again, I always enjoyed being an academic and learning new things, um, but never really found a place in the work of being an engineer. So I did internships and um, I worked for my dad for a summer in his engineering company and I love you dad, but I hated that job. Um, I tried research in engineering and was bored out of my brain. Um, a lot of typical engineer like stereotypes are being introverted and I think the job tends to lean that way. Um, a lot of it was sitting at a desk. I didn't like what I did. I didn't like what my boss did or my boss's boss, et cetera, up the line. Um, and so junior in college, I felt really lost. Um, I had a degree or almost had a degree in, in engineering and felt like I enjoyed the knowledge behind it, but not the work. And so I applied for an internship um, for the summer after my junior year. Um, I was highly qualified for it. I had a stupid, crazy GPA and spent most of my life in college studying and nothing else. And so paid for that in other ways, but I was overqualified for this job and didn't get it. Um, they didn't really tell me why. It was just one of those like, yeah, sorry, peace. Um, and like was really crushed by that. Um, I think I cried after the phone call and all of those wonderful emotions that come with feeling like not that you deserve something, but that you have, have like earned it. I worked really hard. Um, and so that moment was really humbling for me and I didn't know what to do. Um, cause it was like May by then or something like that. And so there was not really time to find another engineering internship, especially in fields like that. They're gone by March or April. So I reached out to family and friends and my older sister was a, um, much more artistic person. I don't, I, I don't know if that's the right word for it. Um, she studied women's studies, went to a very liberal arts college, um, and she ended up working at, um, some museums while she was in college. And so she suggested that I'd reach out to the pro, um, which is the nature and science museum here in Dallas. Um, and they had like a super minimum wage job. It was like $10 an hour or something like that. But I would be coordinating high school summer camps all summer um, and working with high schoolers who are leading the elementary school summer camps. Um, was terrified. High schoolers are scary and judgmental. <laughs> but I you know, I tutored all my life and had done volunteering with, with that kind of thing before. So I applied and got the job um, and ended up loving it. Something about being surrounded by people who I could pour into, even even though it was like a two-week camp at a time, um, there was something really sweet about that. Um, and so long story short, it just kind of led me down this path of, well, maybe I need to be working in, in something different. And so I applied to Teach for America, um, got accepted through that, ended up becoming a teacher. But the hardest part for me, and like the scariest thing I remember, is telling my dad like, and now I'm going to cry. I love you, dad. And I know that you love me. Um, but the fear of him being disappointed that I'm not using my engineering degree, which I am, I teach physics and engineering and all, it's all wonderful and I love it. But the fear of that conversation was the most terrifying part. Not jumping into a new work field, not working in low income school districts, not fact that you have to write all of your curriculum and you work 70 hours a week, like none of that was scary to me. The scariest part was telling my dad. Um, and I think initially he was disappointed. It's not the right word. I think he was a little sad. I think um, he was sad that I wouldn't be following in his footsteps. Um, and then I remember he came and uh, helped me teach a lesson in my class, my first year teaching. And it was that moment that his like reaction changed. Um, and that conversation afterwards was the most like healing conversation we've ever had where he's like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. I have zero doubt in my mind. 
And I don't know. I don't know why that was so powerful to me, but the fact that like the healing of that conflict, even, I mean, it was probably a year later by then was really powerful. Welcome to Story Shaped Life, a podcast where we try to help make sense of the stories we believe about ourselves, others, and the world we live in. We're your hosts. I'm Sam. And Ben. And this season, we're focusing on the Enneagram, a popular tool for understanding the way we view the world and the strategies we use to interact with it. Join us today as we talk about Enneagram Type 9. All right, so welcome to the Enneagram Type 9 episode. Uh, This is going to be awesome because Enneagram Type 9s, we call them, we're just going to lead in with this and I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves in a second. Uh, Enneagram Type 9s, we are calling them or they are the reserved belonging seekers. Uh, And so that means between both of you, myself and Samuel, uh, we have all reserved types in the room. What Woo-hoo. up, reserve types? Yeah. We've done it at last. We, did, we have taken over the world slowly but surely, secretively, quietly, <laughs> without no one noticing. Reservedly. <laughs> yes. Reservedly. Yes. Uh, and this is fun because um, we today we have the third of the Lars Ball brothers. I think we said this like really early on. Maybe people have forgotten. But Samuel and I are brothers. We are the bookends of the, our four, uh, the four brothers. And now Nicholas... We'll let you introduce yourself right now and share three things. Yes. Oh. About <laughs> Not you. Prepared. Yes. Okay. Well, hello. Uh, so my name is Nick and I am in fact the third brother, both, both like practically and like metaphysically. Yeah. Like that. It feels like representative. Of like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like when you line up the infinity stones, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's the third one, the heart stone. Um, yeah, a little two, three things about myself. I just graduated, so I'm finally done with school, Whoop. which is nice. Right now, I live in College Station. That's the thing about me. Uh, probably, what did you graduate with? Probably not for long. I got a master's in international affairs, and yeah, I like to read. That's <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> just throwing out some random facts. Yeah, just yeah, it's great. Uh, that's good. Cool. And then we also have uh, a friend of ours uh, for a long time and who plays D&D. We play D&D together. There's many things. Yep. I'm going to let you. I feel like if I keep going, then I'm going to take something away from you. That's so I'm fine. Not I don't do have it. to talk. You, you can you talk go, for no. me. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, a, this is a good practice for everybody. So go for it. Uh, hi, my name is Mariah. Um, my husband, Vince, was on the sixth podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm married. There's one thing. Uh, I'm also a high school teacher, so I teach physics and engineering courses, um, and I really like video games. Um, I'm really excited for the new Animal Crossing, which has been delayed till March, but it's also when my birthday is, so happy birthday to me. Nice. Cool. Well, so like we said, the Enneagram Type 9s are the reserved belonging seekers, reserved being your uh, social strategy. So our first question for you guys and I'm not going to explain them because we've done that before. Uh, my first question for you guys is, how have you seen that reserved social strategy work out for you guys in one-on-one relationships? Well, I would say I definitely see that that strategy all the time in my life, for sure. So that's not a shocker that I belong to that group. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a bunch of friends were having a kind of a going away party you know some people were leaving town and whatnot and it was already a pretty small group to begin with uh, which is probably why I showed up in the first place but I remember I got there and I knew everybody there to some at least to some degree and even then I still you know kind of said hello you know whatever real general overview and then I found a spot on the couch next to someone that I knew pretty well and uh we played Mario Kart for the next two hours uh, at this at this party. And then around, you know, 11, 11.30, whatever, they decided to move the party over to a more appropriate venue. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, this has been fun, but also I'm just done, you know. And, and so, I, you know, I let people know. And at, for the next 30 minutes, it was like a constant uh, 
uh, I don't know what what you Berating. want to call it. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it was a parade of people coming by and trying to convince me like one on one. Like, funny. so Nick, uh, why aren't you coming? Like, what's going on? And I was like, no, nothing's going on. Man, it's gonna be so fun. It's the last chance. Come on. And you know, I j- it, there wasn't anything bad about it. There was nothing. I just didn't want to go. Right. Like, uh, I got what I needed. Right. I'm, I'm good. Right. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I can definitely be stubborn when I want to, for sure. Um, I don't think peer pressure, at least for me, is really a super strong uh, motivating factor. So I held my ground, and sure enough, like as everybody left in the Ubers, (laughs) (laughs) my dad, there I was with a smile on my face, you know. (laughs) I went to my car and and went home, and you know that, and it was great for me. Like I had a great time, I really did. Uh, But also, I knew like we're done here. So I I, I see that all the time for sure. Yeah, Vince has always been, uh, we've been together since high school, and he was always one that was involved in like theater, or he was in student life in college, so there were always big events where I had to, I didn't have to go, I went because I love Vince, Um, but I would go and not know anyone, and so I think I developed a lot of strategies to combat that, Mm. one of which would be my hair color, Mm. Um, and I think this goes all the way back to high school, but it gives me something to talk about, people always want to ask you, oh, like, what color has it been, what color are you going to next? Mm Um, so it's this guaranteed thing that I know I can lean on. Mm-hmm. Um, or I just recently, not re- in the last two years, I got my first tattoo. And if I'm going somewhere where I don't know people, I try and wear it so that people can see it again to give them something to talk about and to give me something to talk about. Um, because otherwise, there's a lot of me looking for a cat or a dog at a house party to hang out with on the floor. Because I, I don't know, I do a lot of like avoidant of those situations. And then when I end up there, I do my best to find something else to, to do mm. or to talk about. Would you guys consider yourselves extroverts or introverts or somewhere in, in the middle? It's a, it's a spectrum. I think I, I think I can change to whatever the situation yeah, that's, needs. That's a hard one. Like, especially Ooh. I find myself as a teacher. Um, I'm really extroverted in my classroom because I know that, or I want to give my students a, a place to like feel known and feel safe. And so I'm super extroverted. I'm really quirky and I make bad jokes and, um, you know, I'll tease myself when I like walk into a desk or things like that because I get energy from that. Right. Like, and I want them to feel safe. And so I'm super extroverted there. Um, or if we are somewhere that like my close friends are feeling nervous, I'll be extroverted to help them feel not nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, but in other situations, if it's not relying on me, I am absolutely introverted. Yeah. I will clam up and just exist within myself mm. yeah i totally agree with that i can chameleon yeah the situation away mm. uh it doesn't bother me to be around people and be even at, at times be the center of attention that's actually okay but also if it's just me and i have to take a break alone like i'm 100 percent comfortable with that for as much time as it as it has to be mm. so a little bit of both yeah yeah i think that's one of the things that's interesting about reserve types in general people immediately think oh introverted or right shy and i don't think that's the case. I think you can have a very extroverted or like gets energy from people, but you still have a social strategy that's, that's take like aware of and taking care of your opportunities, like the things that you need first, and then looking for other opportunities that you can connect with or creating new opportunities. Yeah. And I think there's a general misconception with the idea of who you can get energy from, because in my life, what I see is my extroversion comes in. There's certain people that I know I can trust on that are like, energy givers Mm. you know like they're my close group of friends that when i hang out with them i'm gonna have energy and this is gonna be great for me and i'm gonna feel rested after and then there's certain people that take my energy absolutely like i work in like a service industry kind of job doing like with coffee and it's like i know i'm gonna be exhausted at the end of the day and not want to talk to anyone because i just had to put a lot of effort into that but then i have my friends that they could be like right after my chef's like want to hang out and I, I'll do it because it's going to bring me energy. And so I think one of the misconceptions is that extroversion means that you get energy from anyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's through to no. like any of the yeah. types. Like no matter how the, extroverted you are. Exactly. There's no way that everyone gives you energy. Yeah, that's a good point. Any other ways that you can think of that your reservedness kind of shows up? I'm curious to really see the differences between fours, fives, and nines in the reserve type. Um, and again, I think of the three social strategies, reserved is the most misunderstood. Um, we get the idea of creating opportunities. We get the idea of pinging off of other people for opportunities. But the idea of like 
having good, essentially the word that we've used, having good boundaries for your own opportunities is like, like the kind of a weird thing in our culture. So, um, I went to SMU and my little brother's about 14 months, months younger than I am. Um, and we were really close growing up. Um, and he ended up going to SMU as well. And immediately, like I felt this drop in my stomach. He ended up living in the same dorm room as I did. He ended up studying engineering. Um, so we had a lot of the same professors and classes. And the first thing I did was when he came on campus, I told him, I don't know you for the first two weeks. I love you, but I'm not going to talk to you for the first two weeks. You can't eat lunch with me. I'll wave at you across campus, but I need you to make your own friends because otherwise I know we'll end up spending all of our time together. And I don't think that's beneficial for both of us uh, or for either of us for that case. And so for the first two weeks, um, I didn't see him. I didn't talk to him. I didn't eat lunch with him and he ended up making his own friends and then we were able to come back together. And in a weird twist of events, uh, he actually moved to Dallas last May, so about a year ago. And I essentially told him the same thing. Like, you are welcome to come and like hang out in the places that I hang out with. I want you to move to Oak Cliff because I love you and I love our neighborhood. But I also need you to establish your own community here. Because I think there was a lot of me that was threatened by that intrusion. I love you, Ian. You're wonderful. You're my favorite brother. You're my only brother. But there was a lot of me that like felt really threatened by that intrusion. And so I established like, hey, I want you to make your own community because I want you to have something similar. I don't want you to have mine, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. And it went well. It did. For him, it went well for you. Yes. He now has his own friend group. He's um, plugged into our church in his own uh, community group there. He, Yeah. And I think it's better for both of us. That's cool. Yeah, because I think there's a thing, there's something about boundaries that's uh, difficult, at least in American culture, especially probably in the South, because it's seen as a negative, it's seen as a um, being rude or limiting. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we are limited beings. And so having a good sense of like where, what your needs are and what your boundaries are is not saying, I don't want anything from anybody or I'm not willing to give anything to anyone. It's saying, I only have this much to give to people. And others only have this much to give to me. And let's just be aware of that reality, right? Like it's pretty simple, but I think that's why the reserve group is harder for a lot of people. Yeah. I might tag this back to respond to Nicholas, your statement, but I think the positive of your story was also reflected in, in one, one of our episodes, we talked about having a, uh, unspoken expectations mm-hmm. and what your actions did is you nulled the opportunity for that. Because you didn't want to go, so you communicated that, and you didn't go. And that seems really simple, (laughs) but a lot of us struggle with that. I would also say it's something that was not always easy. I don't know uh, about for you, but it was something I definitely had to learn. Yeah, I have to be very actively, like, very aware of, especially saying no. Yes, Uh, absolutely. That's that's always a rough one. Mm. Don't want anyone to be disappointed in me ever. Hence why I keep asking if I'm answering right. Uh, (laughs) Because I don't want to mess anything up. I don't want people to be disappointed. I think you're right, Samuel. I think the same thing is reflected in Mariah and your story. The idea of, like, uh, this is what I want. This is what I need. It's not because I don't care about you. It's mm. not because, right? It's it's because I'm aware of uh, what opportunities are I have in front of me and what it takes to, to safeguard that or for something mm-hmm. good to happen. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, so moving forward, what is one situation or example you could give in which that social strategy played out in a way that probably wasn't the most positive or effective? I think in general, for me, the negative part of that social strategy is that it... Uh, seems to inhibit me from creating deeper relationships in general. And that doesn't mean that I don't have uh, close, deep relationships, but it's just so much more difficult and time-consuming um, than I think it really should be. And and that goes for everything, like friends. Like, for example, the last two years in grad school, I, I've made you know, great friends for sure that I hope to to be friends with for the rest of my life. But even then, there's always like in that back of my mind, subconsciously, I'm always guarded thinking, well, you know, this is going to inevitably end and we will all move on and, or something will happen or whatever. So what's the real point? Like, is it really worth investing all this time and effort or, you know, let's just, let's just be superficial friends or whatever. And we can be good friends and that's fine too. But you know, let's, let's uh, hold our horses there and, uh, and watch out. And so for sure, I think that's negative. Um, for sure. I think that's something that, uh, I, I try to work on is, is like be more vulnerable. 
obviously there's potentially more risk, but there's also so much more to gain. And like, I know that, but it's still in the moment. It's also difficult to, to put that into practice and just like lower your defenses enough to actually, you know, practice that. Yeah. I would say that's very true. I have a lot of friends who I would consider very close. Um, I have a group of girls that I meet with every single Friday. Um, and we, you know, talk about what's going on in our lives and inevitably, I'm always asking questions. Um, I think I know my friends really, really well. I don't know how well they know me. Um, there's always a joke that like it takes me 10 seconds to go through whatever I'm going through and just like, no, I'm fine. Like, tell me about you. How are you doing? Like, what can I do for you? How can I be praying for you? Whatever it is. And I don't know if that's a defense strategy. Like, I don't, I'm, like you said, I'm scared for people to know me because what if it all breaks down or... If it's, I don't know how I'm feeling, so I don't know how to talk about it. And so I think there's a lot of that projecting outwards to take that pressure off of me so I don't have to think about it and I don't have to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, we talked about in, in one of the episodes kind of the concept of like having different boxes. Mm. There's some boxes that for reserve types, it's really easy to open because mm. it's like, well, I've always opened this box. So like we can talk about this all day long, but then this other box, mm-hmm. like I'm unfamiliar with it. Yeah. And I think that's part of the struggle is it's not that I'm intentionally tucking this in the back and hiding it from you. So I'm, I'm not familiar with it yeah. enough to open totally up. Totally agree. It easily, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. If So in undergrad, for most of my undergrad, I had roughly the same three roommates. And I remember we... We never had any issues talking about like any of them, you know, what's going on or whatever. Uh, like I encouraged it. I, I enjoyed talking about it and, you know, like the good and the bad, like let's work through this together. Like that's that's awesome. Let's be intentional. Um, but when it came to me, it was always a whole nother story and they definitely caught on. Um, so it got to the point where one night a week they would announce or make it very clear that it was Nick night. Oh, that's so good. And so that night they would not talk about themselves and they would literally sit me down in the wow. living room and I had to share about myself that's cool. uh, something. Um, yeah. And that actually worked pretty well, honestly, because it kind of forced me like, well, I mean, pressure's on and I can't talk my way out of this one or, you know, somehow twist the conversation back onto them because they're, you know, they're ready for it. And uh, so, I mean, it's awesome that they figured that out and we kind of figured out that strategy, but it's also negative that like we, you know, that was necessary. I, that it was yeah. necessary yeah. in the first place. Oh man, that punches right. me in the gut. I feel that so strongly. I feel like the fact that they were able to identify that in you is amazing. Um, but they also gave you time to think about it, which I think I need a lot of. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many times I pestered you for the questions because I was like, I need time to figure out what I know and what yeah. I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'm not intentional about figuring it out, I won't. I will ignore it. I will mm-hmm. think about other things. I'll think about other people. Um, so the fact that they gave you time and then followed through and forced you to do it is really cool. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting thing, though, about nines that the way that your reservedness uh, works out that social strategy works out I think uniquely to you guys it is uh, very engaging with other people mm-hmm. like it's still right like you feel very comfortable uh, around an Enneagram type nine because there's this they're willing to like receive constantly and I think that's a very different way of being reserved like being uh, using that social strategy than fours and fives not that we're not friendly or whatever but but I don't think we're fours and fives are nearly as like um, is a weird word, but like attractive in that way, like socially mm-hmm. attractive of just like that, like, I just feel very comfortable because I, they're constantly listening and whether there's a good side or bad side to that, that again, we've, I think we've already hit that, but mm-hmm. I do think that's a unique thing about you that nines kind of walk into a room and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, there's somebody I could be friends with. And I was like, and you don't, you don't even know why exactly it's just happening. You're all of a sudden you're like, I just walked away from this and I feel really good. I don't I don't get it. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, picking up with that, the idea of like what nines kind of like are, are doing or like what we experience from them. Um, I want to know what you guys experience as men and women, Enneagram type nines, um, from our culture. And again, I'm going to keep saying this every time because I think it's important. Culture is something we all create. It is not the enemy. It's just this soup that we're sitting in, right? So that we're swimming in. So 
what are the expectations that you feel, cultural expectations that you just feel most strongly as men and women um, type nines? I think, um, and I got some sort of like joy out of this, I'm sure, but I loved bucking stereotypes, like telling people that I teach engineering, the feeling where they're like, oh, really? Like crushing their cultural expectation of being a woman and my appearance um, brings me a lot of joy because um, I think it is an expectation that, yes, they can see me being a teacher, but being a teacher of hard science subjects tends to be surprising. I took you more for like a hippie painter. Exactly. <laughs> uh, every every time in college, um, you know, riding the bus or whatever I was doing, it was, so you're an art major, right? And there was this part of me that was always like, yeah, no. I'm an engineering major and like watching their face change brought me a lot of joy. Which I think kind of fits what you were saying earlier. I can't remember. It was Nicholas that said it. The idea of like being a chameleon in different places, Mm -hmm. that this ability to be okay with having likes from different things, you know, from I like engineering and I also like having blue hair, like what, you know. And 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 I also am an artist. Like I I do all of these different things. Totally. And this, this sense of like not a chameleon just to like fit in, but the more of the like you also take a little bit from multiple mm-hmm. places and that's like something that culture isn't generally usually it's like well I want to put you in a specific box and just feel comfortable with knowing who you are within that specific space and this is going to sound like a weird math enneagram thing but I'm noticing almost like this combinations of three and sixes where it carries the threes and I say this, yes. Are you going to say three plus six is nine? Yes. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> but the I remember in our conversation with the threes, there was this big joy almost in standing out mm-hmm. and in having that individuality and, and standing mm-hmm. out in that. And in the sixes, there was this big like, I'm doing this for you. Mm-hmm. I'm bringing people together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the nines possess a combination of that. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Like all of you, what you're talking about is like standing out also serves a greater purpose because you want it to have an effect on the people around you. Right. And I think that's something really special. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I also, I'm careful to not do this, but you are my brother, so I know you better than a lot of people that we interview. Feel free. I definitely have seen something similar in you. Uh, As we've said before, um, we grew up in Colombia. My, our dad is from Argentina. Our mom is from Michigan. Nicholas and Samuel were both born in Colombia. My other brother and I were both born in Texas. We have family in the Netherlands. We have family in Chile. We have like I mean, it's just, or in Paraguay. We like it's just like our our family is like wildly diverse, and it's fun. Um, but what comes with that is like you don't you didn't grow up with like the normal things that every kid was like super into. It's like right, like everyone was into Backstreet Boys. I don't know, whatever. I, I have no idea. Sam was looking Hopefully at me. Where they, where are they? <laughs> we really uh, hope not. But like we, we were just like had a lot of different influences is the way I guess I want to put that. So it was like, so anyway, I've seen that in Nicholas as well. Of all the brother, brothers, I think Nicholas cherry picks, you cherry pick the most, the things across cultures that you like. It's like, he's really into Argentine soccer and rock. And then he also went to A&M and was like, got into football. And it was just like, it just like, and, and has no care for how people can't put those things together. You're right. Absolutely. They're like, how are you? Who cares? How are you? Two percent this and five percent that. And he's like, I just am. Yep. And and I think that's a unique thing of nines is they like it's again you 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 do chameleon, but you kind of do it in the sense of like I'm creating my own uniqueness and I don't need it to fit in a box. Mm-hmm. Well, and I I think the chameleon the problem with that is it it's the idea that you take on different personas. Right. Much like the term doesn't really work about, very well that way. Yeah. yeah. But it's more of a I I. I take different things from different. Right. right yeah. like an and amalgam. I'm confident in who I am. Yeah. I, I don't have to change all the time. Yeah I, yeah. I I see what you're saying for sure. The other question that I have kind of in this, because it's something that I've seen and I'm curious of for guys, Enneagram type nines, is in the current Southern, primarily evangelical culture in which we live, uh, there is an expectation that guys be like, strong leaders mm-hmm. and out in front and just driving the train. I don't know. I could keep come up with more, you know, <laughs> analogies, but that'll be useless. But that kind of, that to me stands out over and against type nines that aren't, uh, it's not that you're not driven, like you've done a lot, but you're, it's, you're also not the guy in the room. That's like, come follow me. Let's take right. the hill. Right. I've right. never seen that in you. And follow I wonder if that's like, if you've experienced that tension where it's like to be a man, you have to blank. And you're like, well, when, why? Like, 
I don't feel a need to. I don't know. I'm curious about that one because I've noticed that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely have. I, I think it, it turns or it focuses on, on the question of what is strength or even what is it to be a strong man or just a man in general. And I think at least for me, it's a probably, yeah, a, a different idea than what I think the general society would would have you believe. Um, and so, yeah, like I don't have to be aggressive with people I'm around, you know? I don't have to have road rage every day to prove that I'm great at driving or, you know, I own the road. This is, this is my road. But that doesn't mean there's not this inner strength uh, because I think there is, and I think there is in, in all nines for sure. Like, I think we're really good at, at absorbing, like, like just taking the shots, you know, just absorbing all the punches. And for me, that's, that's strength, right? That takes a lot of work. You don't just do it. Uh, and not a lot of people can do that. But yeah, it's definitely not leading, like leading the charge or I don't know. I, I, I don't know exactly how to put that. Um, In D&D terms, we would say you're the tank. <laughs> yes. <Anyway>. Exactly. <laughs> that sounds Again. right. Samuel is so <laughs> just unsubscribing every hey, time. No, but there's if others that are like, this is all I've ever wanted yeah. is the D&D according to the Enneagram. If you haven't played D&D, you should definitely give it a try. <laughs> I will teach you. Just get my contact info from Ben and I'll teach you how to play. It's really fun. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, so I, I think there is like a like a yeah, an a expectation good, that, I like that that I think a nine an average nine male does not necessarily live up to, mm-hmm. and but I would say that's not bad at all. Personally, I think it's a great thing. Uh, yeah. So, but it's different. This is a little bit of a tangent. I'm thinking of it in more in a relationship sense, and understanding that it's not necessarily a guy having to bring certain roles specifically or certain personality aspects and a girl having to bring certain personality aspects and the relationship will only work if that happens because i think that is a pressure especially you know in south of the u.s to that the guy has to bring this personality and the girl has to bring this personality preach and if not that relationship's not going to work and and it's just not true It, it it doesn't show the beauty of having two different people that bring their own personalities for a, a joint goal. It is okay for a nine to bring the qualities of a nine, mm-hmm. even if he's a guy and it was expected for him to have different qualities. Mm-hmm. Those qualities don't make you less able to complete the goal of a successful relationship right. or complete the goal of a successful work ethic or complete the goal in any aspect of your life. Uh, and, and that's where there's a lot of tension, I think, culturally, is this pressure of like, no, you have to change your personality to complete that goal. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that just is disastrous in a relationship. Yeah. Because you're going to f- both feel unfulfilled and you're going to both feel like you can't do it right because you're not bringing your actual personality into question. Yeah, it's similar. I think Nika last week touched on that with type eights. As a woman, she was saying... I don't fit into this like nice, peaceable, uh, not peaceable, that's not right, but like peaceful, maybe that's the right word, quiet, meek, meek's a word that we use a lot, right, persona. And so she had a lot of people in churches that were just like, well, you're not going to get a guy if you're like that. And she's like, yeah. one, why is that the goal? Yes. And two, yeah. uh, that's ridiculous that I'm supposed to change myself so mm-hmm. that I can accomplish this goal. Right. And, mm-hmm. and right. Change qualities that are not inherently bad qualities. Right. Like exactly. strength in a woman does not mean a bad quality. Right. Strength in a man does not mean a bad or a good quality. Right. And how I think you're to your point, a lot of these qualities work out in very different ways. Yep. And so the fact that we have cultural expectations for some of these qualities to only work out in certain ways is just uh, detrimental to human development because we're saying, well, only if you look like this, only if you're able to be strong in this way, only if you're able to be feminine or beautiful in this way, does it count? And then everybody else is like, well, now what? I think as we talk about qualities, that kind of transitions us into our next question. But uh, I know both of y'all have actually listened to the podcast, so you're familiar with this concept, but we've talked about the idea of uh, superpowers. So it is kind of a power that you bring to the table. And the way we've described it is 
there is a universal problem that you target specifically, that the Enneagram Type 9 targets specifically, and there is a tool that you bring to the table to combat that specific problem. So is there one that you could identify in, in yourselves? I was playing around with the words belonging, which I know isn't part of your description for the nines, but bringing belonging to estrangement or the feeling that you don't belong, that you're out of place in somewhere. But I don't know if that encapsulates the right thing. Hmm. This, I don't know if this is cliche. We can go for it. Throw it away. We're workshopping it. All yeah, the qualifying. Workshop, workshop. You notice how we both qualify yeah, all the time? Literally no, this is going to be the four-hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I land on empathy for sure um, is a strong one. Mm-hmm. Just because that's something that I notice, at least for me, over and over and over again. And other people have noticed it in me as well. I don't know if that's a superpower necessarily. Now, what does that solve? Uh, you know, I'd have to say either like something like strife or maybe misunderstanding uh, between people and how empathy can can kind of bridge that gap of you know, we're different and there's always going to be some, somehow something like we can never truly be on the same ground unless we fully understand each other. I don't know. That's something like that. I think that's a good start for sure. What do you think about the word disunity? It's a weird choice for the synonyms that exist, but that's the one that's coming to mind right now. I don't hate it. Um, (laughs) I think that specifically addresses between other people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it necessarily addresses them by themselves. Like the obvious one, and it's super general, but the obvious thing would be conflict. And perhaps not in like this this universal sense, because that's impossible. But absolutely in a small group or even one-on-one individual sense, for sure. Like that's not something I can walk away from. I, I just can't. Like, Not that I think I'm in any way equipped or qualified to solve everyone's problems. You know, yeah. I would never think that for a second. But like, I can definitely play a part to try and and bring some kind of understanding and some kind of I don't know a better communication between the involved parties and you know let's try to work on this I don't know or even create like a safe space for that to happen right like I feel like there's something that I and I feel like you do really well of creating the space for this conversation to happen whether or not you're actively involved in that conversation but knowing that you were there is like a mediator which I know is another word that's used with nines all the time but um, knowing that you can create this space for the conversation to happen in a way that is safe and could hopefully lead to understanding. All right, this is going to be weird because this is a word that also has a very positive element to it. So I'm picking a like an issue. This doesn't have to be like a bad thing necessarily, but an issue that has a positive connotation to it, and that is diversity. Mm. Here's where I'm going with this. Okay. Uh, what about the idea of nines bringing unity to diversity? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really interesting. I was going to use the word divergence. Hey. Mm. Because I was imagining like, you know, divergence is kind of the idea of two paths splitting off mm-hmm. and the nine's like, oh, this is one big road. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what mm. I mean? You're not like, actually walking away from each other. You're still, yeah, yeah that's We're good. We're all in this together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, things we never grew up with. I'm like, <laughs> the song I know what it is, out. but I, yeah. <laughs> Um, the problem about the conversation about diversity oftentimes is that it implicitly will bring conflict and that's not necessarily bad, but it's just a reality because you're different and difference brings conflict. Like that's how it works. Absolutely. You have to work through differences and continue to be different, unified in your differences. Yeah. And that like, right. and that's difficult. No, Unity for, doesn't um, mean convergence, right? Like yeah, if we're using the word right, divergent, right, right. it doesn't mean the paths are converging again, but it means that maybe they're aligned mm-hmm. or heading in a similar direction, not necessarily along the same path. Like we're all going to take different paths, but um, align towards a similar goal. Yeah. And what I I like about counteracting divergence as as an issue is saying we don't need to go in opposite directions. That's good. Like that's not the solution. Absolutely. The solution is not to break off in conflict forever. Right. So would we say alignment to divergence? I like that. That was the word you used and I liked it. It feels pretty good. Yeah, that's really good. Alignment with divergence. Divergence may be one of the coolest words we've used so yeah. far. Yeah. Okay, so to wrap this up, I've got two more questions for you guys. And those are what advice do you have for other type nines? And what advice do you have for those of us who are in relationship with type nines? Well, advice to all the nines out there. Oh man. Uh what would I tell my younger self? I don't know. My mind goes to a couple of different things. The the first one and 
Ronald, please tell me if this applies to you, if you feel identified. I would say nines need to give themselves a little more credit. I know that's something I struggle with a lot. Internally, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know, think I'm an awful person or, like, I suck at everything. I, I would never say, like, I'm pretty confident, but also I really struggle, like, with receiving any sort of praise or even just stopping and internally thinking, well, I've done a good job here. Like, this has been good. Like, I can take that and move on. Like, like I just don't take the time to do that. Um, I, would, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think to kind of piggyback off of that, take time to, A, identify what you need, and it's okay to need things. Because um, I think a lot of times we spend so much time, I think similar to twos, focusing on other people and not spending time analyzing our own wants and needs and feelings. But your strength and power to help other people comes from taking care of yourself first. I think we can, I often fall into the trap of, I don't need anything, I don't need anything. And then I'm crying on the couch for three hours because it's all bottling up at once or exploding from the bottle at once. And I think one of the most powerful things ever said to me as a nine um, was that my emotions have value. Um, That like three word sentence um, broke me in half. And again, I cried for three hours. But the fact that A, someone would want to know what I'm feeling, B, that I should want to know what I'm feeling became really powerful. And I think to find time to tackle that, similarly to your roommates, when they're like, hey, we want to know how you're actually doing uh, is really good advice. And I still tell myself, have to tell myself that. And Vince has to tell me that all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I 100% agree, which goes into like advice for people in a relationship with a nine. Like, I wish it weren't the case, but sometimes you, you gotta, you gotta really dig, dig down a little bit if you want to get past like, yeah, everything's fine or whatever, you know, very superficial. You, you really have to go the extra mile, I think. And, and even though that kind of sucks, like the fact that you have to try a little bit harder, I do think if, if you put in that effort, you're definitely going to get a result. Like you will get to know that person in a way that they don't normally open up with. Like, I think we're willing to do that. And, and ultimately I think we want to, like we desire that connection. Um, but it's just not, we're, we're not immediately going to let our guard down. Um, I feel like it takes asking twice or three times. Right. Like, Hey, it how does. are you, Mariah? No, how are you really doing? Yeah. Like that second yeah. question is what gets me. Absolutely. And both in friend relationships with my husband, all of those, like taking that time to ask one more time, I think we'll, change the results like you said yeah yeah it brings me back to the the weird metaphor of the boxes even because mm-hmm. I, I i started to hear this from you mariah but and you can tell me if that's right or not but there's almost people in your life that have been like what what about this box yes like what's going on here what is that box like, what is that and it's on their side like on the side of us who are in relationships with type nine such a helpful thing to help you guys explore those things and have the patience to know like, oh, they don't know how they feel yet. So I'm just going to bring it up, give yes. them some time to process it, let them process it. And then on the side of the type nines, the advice for type nines is explore those things. Yes. Be willing to open those boxes. Take the time because your emotions and the way you feel about it is important yes. and is valued and is important to someone. That's like the two-sided yeah, advice for that sure. I hear. Come down from the stratosphere. And you can land safely. And there will be types that are, I think, uh, people that will be, this will be easier than others. I think this is a good point to pick up on, again, on the idea that every social strategy is healthy in one situation or another, and equally could be unhealthy in one situation or another. And I think uh, as another reserve type, I struggle with that kind of stuff a lot, or at least did for a long time, because it's like, oh, I tried, didn't work, walk away. Yeah, you uh, have to ask more than once. Right. And I really think it was Emily that that has like slowly taught me that it takes over and over because as a as a receptive, she's looking for every chance she gets. And I like even seeing this with you guys. And I like I've learned to be a better friend listen watching her where it's like, Oh yeah, you can do this again. And I think that there's just a piece of that that some of us are gonna be better at at continuing to engage and those of us that really are gonna have to pick up the pace and learn to get in there and try again and, and just patiently engage over and over again. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much, Mariah. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, no tears. 
No tears. I, I almost cried, but I didn't actually cry. We did it, guys. I feel cheated yeah. just a little bit. I'm so sorry. I'm just I can cry now. No. Can we cry <laughs> now? <laughs> so just a reminder to everyone listening, our last episode after the type one is going to be a bonus episode. Yes. A Q&A Winner take all. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> just, just, wow. just a Q&A. That's Let's all. I feel like I had to hype it up and it was just getting kind of weird there. Um, anyway. And we are now just waiting for your questions. So yep. if you uh, have any questions referencing any of the specific episodes, any of the specific Enneagram types, uh, the way we view the Enneagram, the way we talk about the Enneagram, uh, send those questions to us through Instagram. That's the easiest way. Yeah. You can either DM me at Ben Larzi. B N L A R Z I or me at Enya Sam. It's great. Love <laughs> it. So good. Um, and we'll probably be posting, like, we'll put up questions or whatever to try to remind everybody. But as you're listening, if you have questions, pass you those along because we want to answer those. And a lot of those we're probably going to be passing back to folks like you guys to check in with the types and see what do you guys think. Um, it's something we do already as we. We're constantly asking people to let to inform us about their type so we're not just talking out of our butts. So anyway, it'll be yeah. good. And then we will see you next week for our last installment with the Enneagram Type 1s. Also, let me throw in here, we are having uh, some discussions, some healthy debate about what we want season two to look like for A Story Shaped Life. We've talked about doing some uh, kind of a micro season with just four or five episodes about some different things. But um, really, we would love to hear from you guys. What are things that you think about, that you talk about, that you try to figure out when it comes to um, becoming a healthier, more whole human being? And whether that's relationships or emotions or just whatever, um, I think something that's come up a lot recently has been this question about culture. So that's kind of where we're leaning right now: is what how how does culture influence who we how we see ourselves? But we would love to just pick up with whatever you guys are most thinking about and and um, create a conversation that way. So again, questions about the enneagram for our final episode. And just topics, thoughts that you have about becoming a more full human being in the narratives that we have. And that's it. We'll see you guys or talk to you guys. We won't see you. We'll see whoever our type ones are. And we will. Let me try that again. You just might. Uh, (laughs) And that's it. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.